Welcome to the Sunday School lesson from Joelton Church of the Nazarene. My name is John Mills, and I'm glad that you've joined us this morning. Our lesson today is entitled, The Pharisees, and our text comes from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. Uh, before we begin our lesson, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be here, would give us wisdom, Lord, and anointing to know exactly what it is that we should be getting from this in your name. Amen. Amen. The theme of today's lesson, we have a contrast between the spiritual leadership of Jesus, the Messiah, and the leadership of the Pharisees. And as we've said, this is from the Gospel of John. Now, Jesus has just completed the healing of the man born blind. Uh, we looked at that a few, Sunday, a few uh, lessons ago. But you remember, Jesus had encountered a man at the temple who had been blind since birth. And Jesus healed him. And you think, well, that's, that's nothing that exciting. But it stirred up a, a storm of controversy. The Pharisees were extremely upset that Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath. And because of that, the man himself was thrown out of the temple and Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees. And after this confrontation, Jesus warns the Pharisees. He says, you know, judgment will follow my coming into this world. Those who are blind will see, but those who can see will become blind. And the Pharisees then ask him, you know, are you talking about us? Are we blind? Now, to the Pharisees, this would have been ludicrous, the idea that they were blind. They knew the truth, of course. They thought that if anybody knew the truth, it would be them. So Jesus then goes into the scripture that we have in, in today's lesson. And Jesus responds by giving three metaphors, analogies, in which he contrasts his leadership with that of the Pharisees. And so he, he gives these metaphors using shepherds and a sheep uh, to contrast the difference. Now, in Jesus' day, it was common for a village to have one common enclosure for the sheep. And at night, every shepherd would bring his sheep into this common pen, and they would leave them there overnight. And there would be one person, it may have been one of the shepherds themselves, but there would be a person assigned uh, to watch the sheep, to guard them throughout the night. And it was interesting that this enclosure often had no door or fence. Instead, the, the gatekeeper would set, would lay in the opening uh, of the fence itself. And that way, no sheep could get out of the fence without passing over the gatekeeper, and no enemy, no human, no animal could come in unless they went through the gatekeeper. And so Jesus is using this idea as he talks to uh, the Pharisees. Now, what the idea was, you would leave your sheep there overnight. The next morning you would come, the gatekeeper would recognize that you were a legitimate shepherd, would allow you into the pen, and then you would call out your sheep. Now, your sheep would recognize your voice, and so they would follow you out of the sheep pen. So Jesus tells the shepherd, or tells the Pharisees, he says, 
First of all, the true shepherd enters through the gate to the sheepfold. It's thieves and robbers that climb in some other way. The gatekeeper lets the authorized shepherd in. He knows who he is. The sheep recognize the voice, so they follow him out. They won't follow a stranger. Now, the Pharisees don't understand this metaphor that he's making. So Jesus kind of shifts tactics. He then tells them, he says, I am the gate. I'm the gate for the sheep. Whoever comes through me will be saved. They will be able to go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to destroy, but I come to bring life so that my sheep can have life to the full. And then he goes on to provide a third image, a third metaphor. He says, I not only am the true shepherd, I am the good shepherd. I am the one willing to risk my life for the sheep because these sheep are so valuable to me. Uh, The hired hand, the shepherd who is merely looking after other people's sheep, who's not personally involved, this shepherd doesn't care for the sheep. He's not willing to risk anything. So when the wolf comes, that hired hand will run away and the wolf is then able to get in and to attack the sheep. But I, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my name and then I lay down my life for the sheep if need be. And so Jesus gives them uh, these three contrasts. Um, now, when we look at the Pharisees, we need to talk a little bit about who the Pharisees were. And the Pharisees really begin with the exile to Babylon. Now, this was the event that, that uh, gave them their focus, their purpose. Israel was God's chosen people. They were living in the land that God had given them. They were in a covenant relationship with God. But they had been warned over and over again, if you worship other gods, you will be ex- exiled from the land. And finally, this happened. After years of warning by the prophets, the Babylonians conquered the land of Judea. They destroyed the temple. They took the people away into exile, into slavery, to Babylon. They stayed in Babylon for 70 years. And then a portion of the people returned to Judea. And they began rebuilding the temple. So in a sense, the exile was over. But for the Jewish people of Jesus' day, the exile, in its theological and philosophical sense, its political meaning, it wasn't over yet. Most of the Jewish people felt like the exile was still continuing. Most of the Jewish people still lived outside of the promised land. The Jews who had returned, they were living in their own land, but they were living basically as slaves. They were living at the whim of an occupying power. The restoration that the prophets had foretold, it had not arrived yet. So in Jesus' day, many of the Jews looked to the book of Daniel. And Daniel gave a prophecy where he said the exile would not last 70 years, but 70 times 7, or 490 years. And so when the Jews of Jesus' day, when they began counting up the years, they realized that 490 years was up or would soon be up. And so they were looking forward to a restoration. They were looking for a time when the Messiah would come, would rescue Israel from its enemies, would reestablish the kingdom of David. 
And this would be a, a political reestablishment, but it would also be a spiritual restoration. This is a time when God would deal with the hearts of the people and he would purge them of their idolatry once and for all. And after this, they would have one heart, a heart to mind God. So the Jewish people uh, who were in Jesus' day, they were anticipating the return of the Messiah. But they also believed there were things that they could do to bring that about, that it was their job to usher in the Messiah. It was vital for them to keep the Torah, to keep the law, and to be rigorous in their attention to detail, to defend the Torah and the temple against any attack from within the Jewish people, from outside the people. They felt like if they failed to do this, that it would hinder or delay the coming of the Messiah. So they would have to be zealous for the covenant and for the law. God would come back to set up his kingdom, to make the world one vast glory-filled temple. But if the people had kept themselves pure from idolatry, from immorality. So the Pharisees began as a way to make sure that the people maintained this purity, this uh, devotion to God's law, to God's purpose. They had to resist for both themselves and the community to make sure the Messiah would be uh, able to come. This zeal for the law, for the temple, it often meant being willing to fight physically, to use violence if necessary, to keep the community pure. Uh, remember, they weren't just fighting for themselves. They were fighting for what they saw as the future uh, of the Israelites, the future of the Jewish people. Now, in addition to the written law, the Pharisees also stressed obedience to the oral law. These were the regulations that had sprung up around the law. They told how the law should be interpreted in various situations. So the written law would say, honor the Sabbath. The oral law would then give you specific regulations, how you would put this commandment into effect and what you could and could not do on the Sabbath in order to honor it. So when the Pharisees saw Jesus, they saw a man who was careless about keeping the law, at least careless about keeping the oral law of the Pharisees. And even more worrying to them, Jesus was teaching others to do the same. When they saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, when they saw him healing on the Sabbath day, when Jesus defended his, his disciples for picking grain on the Sabbath, all of this would have set off alarm bells for the Pharisees. This man was a threat. He could lead the people away from the law. He could keep the Messiah from coming. Now, we tend to think of the Pharisees in almost exclusively negative ways. We see them as hypocrites on a grand scale, as the enemies of Christ. But the Pharisees did have a lot to commend themselves. You know, they live lives of extreme devotion to the law. And there were Pharisees who actually had supported Jesus. There were Pharisees who warned Jesus. His life was in danger. In Luke 13, 31, we're told that Pharisees came around to Jesus and told him, leave this place and go somewhere else because Herod wants to kill you. And so they were clearly looking out for Jesus. 
You know, we're told numerous times where Jesus ate in the homes of Pharisees. And we don't really get the significance of that. But uh, Pharisees did not let just anyone and everyone eat in their homes. It was a, a matter of purity uh, and honor to make sure you did not eat with unclean people. So uh, if a Pharisee believed that Jesus really was unclean, they never would have invited him to eat in their houses. It's interesting as well when Jesus tells the uh, parable of the prodigal son. Uh, in this parable, the older son is represented by the Pharisees, and the father is representing God. And the father tells the older son, he says, everything I have is yours. You are always with me, which when you think of that referring to the Pharisees, it puts them in kind of a different light. It's interesting as well that Paul, the apostle, he not only grew up as a Pharisee, when he converted his after his experience on the road to Damascus, he remained a Pharisee. Uh, in Acts 23, 6, Paul identifies himself uh, as a Pharisee. So we can see that the Pharisees weren't this exclusively horrible people. Many of them were sincere. They were devout. They were dedicated to follow, following the law. But that leads us to the question, how could people so dedicated to following God and his law, how could they end up in such a wrong place? So in today's lesson, Jesus gives them three contrasts. First of all, Jesus says, I am the legitimate shepherd. The Pharisees are false shepherds. They're false teachers. Now, Jesus had authority. Uh, several times we read throughout the Gospels where they marveled at the authority that he used when he spoke. Uh, in this section of Scripture, the authority of Jesus is recognized by the gatekeeper and by the sheep themselves. Now, Jesus' authority was based on one thing, and that was he had come to do the will of the Father. Over and over again, Jesus says, I'm not here to do what I want to do. I'm here to do only what the Father has commanded me to do. And so that was the source of his authority, the legitimate authority. He was submitted entirely to the will of the Father. It's interesting when you look back at the temptations that Jesus faced when he was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Those were all about whether Jesus would do his will or the will of the Father. You know, the temptation to use your power to change these stones into bread or the temptation to go up to the top of the temple and throw yourself off and force God to rescue you. And then the last temptation was just a blatant appeal. Bow down to me and I'll give you all of these kingdoms of the world. So Jesus is faced with, do I do my will or do I do the Father's will? And we know how the temptations turned out. We know that Jesus continually kept to the Father's will. Now, Jesus' authority was also based on the fact that he had come as a servant, uh, as a servant leader. You know, Jesus told the disciples over and over, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you are going to have to become the servant of all. He says, this is my example to you. You know, Jesus, of course, was the greatest in the kingdom, and yet he was the biggest servant. And this was where his authority came from, the fact that he came not to serve himself, but to be a servant 
to give his life, it says, as a ransom for all. Now, the Pharisees were illegitimate shepherds. They had taken authority unlawfully. They were false teachers, and they were bringing destruction. One way they took uh, authority when they shouldn't have was they elevated their traditions or customs even above the written law of God. You know, one of these was this issue of what's called Corban. Uh, Corban was the idea that I could dedicate my possessions. I could dedicate them to the temple, to the use of God. This didn't mean that I actually gave them to the temple. It just meant I marked them as dedicated to the temple. I could still continue to use them, but I would not have to allow others to use them. I would not have to sell them and support my parents or anything like this. And so Jesus was saying, you have people who are refusing to honor their father and mother, which is a commandment of God, and they are using your tradition to do that. And so the Pharisees had seized power. And uh, there is a quote from uh, a, a British politician called Lord Acton, which said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this was the problem with the Pharisees. They had taken authority power that wasn't theirs. And because they weren't yielded to the father, instead of, of blessing the people under them, it was a source of, of corruption and a source of hardship. In the end, they end up as blind guides. Jesus says, you are blind guides, you're leading a blind people, and both of you are going straight into the ditch. We can see the effects of the Pharisees on the people. Jesus offers a second contrast. He says, I am the gate. Or Jesus, you could say Jesus says, I am the way. He is the, the access, our access to life in the kingdom to this relationship with God uh, that we can have through Christ. The Pharisees were obstructions to the kingdom. They were actually blockages. They were blocking access. You know, through the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he offers access to God. And he offered access to those who had never had access before. You know, when questioned about why he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus said, I've come to, or he said, it's the sick who need a doctor. It's not the healthy. These are the ones that I have come to minister to. And so Jesus was reaching out to those who had been left out under the uh, spiritual leadership of the Pharisees. Those, for example, who were poor, uh, who could not afford maybe to keep the entire law, that is to keep the, the rulings of the Pharisees or those who had a physical defect of some kind and who may have been barred from entering the temple. So these were the ones who were left out. Jesus was welcoming them in. And it's interesting. Jesus says, I've come to provide life, and not just life, but life to the full. He says, I am the way, the gate, and my sheep can move in and out and find pasture. In other words, through Jesus, they can get access into everything that they need uh, to live a rich, a full life. And I think, you know, it's a shame that so often we take salvation and we downplay it. We make salvation into the matter of, of getting into heaven and say, well, that's what salvation is all about. And, of course, that is a part of salvation. And I hope very much to go to heaven. 
and I'll be glad to go to heaven. But that's not all of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about a much fuller a version of salvation that's possible through him, a salvation that begins in this life with us now. And he's told us, I am the gate. I am the way to access this salvation. The Pharisees were just the opposite. They had no uh, intention of allowing everybody in. They didn't want to allow everybody in. To the Pharisees, it was essential that you maintain uh, purity. And to do that, you had to keep certain people out, the ones who were undesirable. Jesus uh, told them, he said, Woe to you because you are not entering the kingdom and you are prohibiting others from doing so. The name Pharisee actually means separated ones. And this probably referred to the idea that they saw themselves as separated from the common ordinary people of the land. Uh, These were the people who really could not keep uh, the entire law. Now, not the written law, not the law that Moses had given, but the law with all of the regulations uh, that the Pharisees had brought about. If you were a poor person, uh, just the laws of purity would have been hard to keep, these regulations that the Pharisees put up, uh, because of all the strict requirements of cleanliness and what you could eat and couldn't eat. Uh, it would have been almost impossible to keep them all simply because you were too poor. And so the Pharisees really felt no mercy toward these people. Their desire was, we need to keep them out to make sure they are not polluting everybody else. Now, the last contrast that Jesus makes is, he says, I am the good shepherd. I care for the sheep. The Pharisees are hired hands. Uh, They don't really have any personal stake in the sheep. Now, Jesus says, I know my sheep. I have a relationship with these sheep. These are not just nameless, anonymous creatures. You know, each one was valued and important to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And uh, I, in fact, will give my life, will risk my life for the sheep. When the wolf comes, I won't allow any of them uh, to be taken, to be eaten. But if necessary, I'll lay down my very life. And then, of course, we know that Jesus did lay down his life for us. Uh, Then he makes the point. He says the Pharisees, they are hired hands because they have no stake in the sheep. If danger comes, they're going to run away. They're certainly not going to risk their lives to take care of the sheep. We can look at Jesus and see his willingness to lay down his life was the supreme proof of his love for us. And we can take assurance from that. You know, in Romans, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things? And so from the fact that Jesus laid down his life, we can see him as the good shepherd, the one who is willing to meet all of our needs, to give us this full life. Now, the Pharisees made one major mistake, and that was they never understood that God desired mercy rather than sacrifice. You know, uh, Jesus summed this up several times. 
he told the Pharisees, he said, you need to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And this actually was a quote from the prophet Hosea. Now, God had given this message to Hosea to give to the Israelites. And it's because uh, the Israelites were a people who were continually falling away from God, falling back into idolatry, into the worship of other gods. Now, when they did this, when they would slip into idolatry, they did not stop going to the temple. They would still go to the temple. They would worship. They would offer their sacrifices. But they would be off worshiping other gods as well. And so God is telling them through Hosea, it's not the outward trappings of religion that I'm interested in. It's not enough for you just to come to my temple and offer sacrifices and do your worship. I need to have your hearts. I need to know that your heart is with me, that you're not worshiping other gods. What I want from you is mercy. And the word here uh, is hesed, which contains the idea of several words. It's the idea of mercy, love, loving kindness, grace. And it's interesting, this word is not used just to describe an emotion. It always includes the idea of action. So to, to Jesus, mercy was not just a feeling. It was practical action on behalf of another. You know, it was compassionate behavior toward others. So Jesus was telling the Pharisees, he says, you know, you're missing the point. Uh, you never understood what God was trying to say through Hosea. The outward obedience to the law is not enough. It has to be accompanied by something on the inside, an inward motive and intent of the heart, a heartfelt love for God and for your neighbor. Uh, without this, the outward manifestations, no matter how strict, no matter how pure, they just aren't enough. You know, uh, Jesus told this to the Pharisees after they criticized him for eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. To the Pharisees, keeping pure by strictly avoiding contact with such people, that was what was important. Showing mercy wasn't something uh, that really entered the picture for them. But Jesus was telling them, you know, God desires most that you have a heart of mercy, expressing itself in terms of love and compassion. And Jesus said the same thing when he said, you know, the entire law can be summed up in just two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you will do these two things, everything else is going to be covered. Now, it's important that we recognize God is not saying that obedience is not important. God wasn't trying to tell the Israelites that sacrifice and worship in the temple were bad things. And a lot of times we kind of take this to mean that, that God is saying, oh, it's not important what you do as long as you have a love for God. God wasn't saying this at all. God gave the law to the Israelites. He expected them to obey it. You know, all of those regulations about purity, uh, about sacrifices, these were commands from God. And so Jesus is not telling them you could ignore these. In fact, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so Jesus is saying, 
the idea is not to, to ignore this, to throw out the law. But Jesus was saying, uh, you are, are messing up when you follow this tiny part of the law, but you neglect the more important parts. And it's interesting, he gives a, a, a metaphor here where he says, you are straining out a gnat and you're swallowing a camel. The idea was if you were drinking something and a gnat fell into your, your cup of, of water or whatever it might be, if you drank it, you were actually violating the uh, laws against the food you could eat or couldn't eat because a gnat was an unclean creature. You couldn't eat a gnat. You weren't supposed to eat gnats. And I don't imagine most of us would like to eat a gnat anyway. But they would strain out the gnat to make sure they didn't take even the smallest bit of impurity. And then Jesus says, you're straining out that gnat, but then you're swallowing a camel, which is a much bigger impure animal. And so the idea is not to leave the gnats in, but it's to make sure that when we're taking out the gnats, we don't forget about the camels. And so Jesus is telling them, you know, this outward focus on purity, on observing the law, but neglecting the inward part, the inward condition of mercy, this was doing incredible damage to those people around them. You know, Jesus said, you are blind guides and you're leading a blind people. And the result is both of you are going to fall into the ditch. Uh, several times, Jesus is said to have compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were confused. They were afraid. They didn't know what to do. And the Pharisees, rather than giving them the leadership they should have had, the Pharisees were simply blind guides. You know, the Pharisees had blinded themselves to who Jesus was. They did not recognize the Messiah. And what is so heartbreaking is this is the great desire of their heart to see the Messiah come. And when the Messiah does come, they have blinded themselves and they're unable to see that. Jesus told them, you're not entering the kingdom and you're preventing other people from coming in. He says, you go and make a convert. And when you do, then you change that convert into twice as much a child of hell as you are. And so we can see the damage they were doing to people around them. But they were also doing damage to themselves. Uh, when they neglected mercy, it led to spiritual pride. You know, the outside was clean. The inside was not. Jesus compared them to a whitewashed tomb. He says, you know, you're shining and bright on the outside. Inside, you're full of rotting corpses. Their focus became on the external, you know, the trappings of religion. Also, when they focused on uh, the law without mercy, it led them to doing everything for the praise and admiration of others. You know, uh, it robbed their acts of any kind of devotion, of any sense of spiritual power. Uh, their, their lives became hollow. Prayer stopped being a way to draw closer to God. And instead, you know, it became something to give you a reputation as a, a pious believer. Uh, fasting, it no longer would draw you closer to God, but you did it to show what a righteous person you are. 
And Jesus told them, when you do it for these reasons, you lose any kind of reward from your heavenly Father. So the Pharisees were damaging other people. They were damaging themselves as well. Now, it's interesting when you look at the Pharisees. There were several groups of people, groups of religious leaders during Jesus' day. Uh, there were the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, uh, the priests, along with the Pharisees. It's interesting that Jesus focuses mainly on the Pharisees. And really, I think he does this because he recognizes in them uh, the most legitimate desire to actually be God's people. You know, the Sadducees, you could write them off from the beginning. They weren't in it for any kind of real motive of, of getting close to God or following God. You know, they were in it for the money they could make out of it, for the political power that they had. And the same really was true of the priests and the scribes. You know, they were interested in promoting this, this system because of what they got out of it. But I think Jesus recognized that the Pharisees had started out with very sincere motives. They were doing something because they honestly wanted uh, to, to see God in their lives, to have God working in their lives. Jesus didn't bother opposing these other groups because they weren't really interested in finding God anyway. Uh, Aaron Eby uh, writes a, a uh, blog, and he, he talked about Jesus focused on the Pharisees because they were the ones who knew better. It would have been pointless to say any of this to the Sadducees. They were barking up the wrong tree altogether. But he spoke in this way to the Pharisees because of his respect and his care for them. You know, I think Jesus recognized in the Pharisees those who had begun with the best of motivations and intentions but had gone astray. Now, the Pharisees saw Jesus as their enemy, but Jesus didn't view them as his enemy. Uh, Jesus really wanted to bring them back, to have them see the error of their ways. Matthew chapter 23 is famous for the woes that Jesus pronounces against the Pharisees. And a lot of times we take that as Jesus being angry and denouncing them in a tone of wrath. But if you look closely, it's not, it's not just wrath or it's not exclusively wrath. There, there is quite a bit of sorrow in this. When Jesus pronounces woe, it isn't strictly in judgment, but it's in warning to them. You know, it, it carries this idea of sympathy or sadness. Jesus is warning them of what is coming their way because they have so perverted the law of God. So, you know, it really should make us stop and think. In Jesus' day, his main opponents came from the religious leaders. It wasn't the tax collectors who opposed him. It wasn't the sinners. It wasn't even the Romans. It was the, the Pharisees. And it should make us think about today, you know, is it the people in the church? Have we become the biggest obstacle to what God is intending to do? You know, when we think about threats to the kingdom of God, we think about, you know, the atheist. We think about the pagans. We think about those who are running around partying and living lives of great sin. But, you know, when we look at the Pharisees, we have to think, 
are we really becoming the worst enemies that Christ has? So we need to take it seriously. You know, I, I used to have this idea that the Pharisees were just big hypocrites. My idea was they knew who Jesus was, but they were intentionally spreading these lies and these other things about him because they wanted to convince the people not to believe. It wasn't that they themselves didn't know. They didn't want the people to know. So when they accused Jesus, for example, of being demon-possessed, that was just something they were saying. They didn't really believe that. But in fact, I believe the Pharisees were entirely sincere. I believe that they had become so blind that when they called Jesus demon-possessed, they actually saw Jesus as a demonic influence. They saw him as a force of evil who were leading the Israelites away from obedience to the law. When they opposed Jesus, they were doing their best to remove someone they saw as a threat to really to their continuing existence. In the Old Testament, when Moses was bringing the people out of Egypt and they were wandering in the desert, the Israelite men were seduced into adultery and idol worship by Moabite women. And because of this, God sent a plague among the people. So Moses calls the community together and he tells them, he says, we have to stop this. Those who are doing this need to die. And it says uh, there was a man there by the name of Zimri. When Moses confronts the people, instead of repenting, he deliberately takes his Moabite girlfriend in front of all of the people and they go into his tent and just in in. Uh, brazen denial of what Moses is saying. But uh, there is a priest there. There's Phineas, who is the son of Eliezer, the grandson of Aaron. And it says Phineas takes his spear, follows the couple into the tent. And then the Bible says he drove the spear into both of them. And when he does this, the plague stops. And from that time on, God honors Phineas for his zeal, uh, for his zeal for the honor of God. And Phineas was one of those that the Pharisees looked back to, and it was their goal to be a Phineas of their time. So we have this heartbreaking situation. The Pharisees were seeking the return of the Messiah. They were wanting to see God's kingdom established. They, though, were the ones who would put the Messiah to death. Those who should have benefited most from the establishment of God's kingdom were the ones who eventually were cast out, who lost out uh, on the coming kingdom. Jesus warned them over and over. He said, in God's kingdom, uh, the last will be first, but the first will be last. So it tells us, you know, we have to really stop and think about how we are dealing uh, with the things of God. You know, are we forgetting to practice mercy? Are we basing our experience around all of the outward trappings of religion when what God desires is a changed heart? And so uh, I hope this gives you something to think about. It certainly has given me something to think about as I've studied this lesson. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you've given to us. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to take these things to heart, to seek you first of all, and to seek exactly what you have for us. 
and not to blind ourselves, to harden our hearts to uh, the experience that you have for us. And we'll give you the praise in your name. Amen.